Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful who have gathered here out of love for you, and may our, our hearts and my words together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I have a question for you this morning. What are you anxious about right now? The reason I ask you is because I know that many of us are living with anxiety about the future. The future of our personal lives and that of our families, our children, our families of choice, and our friends. The future of our new church and the church of Jesus Christ in the world. And the future of our country, the nations of the world, and all of creation. Whenever I gather with pastors, um, we often talk about the changes and challenges of getting people back to church since the 2020 onslaught of the COVID pandemic. We talk about it all the time. Every church I know is having trouble getting people to come back to church. Some people have not come back to church because they fear for their health, rightly so, and because of all the violence we've had with gun violence, some people are just afraid for their safety. That's understandable. All of it's understandable. Others uh, have not come back because they're comfortable. They become comfortable at home watching the worship service online, and, and that's understandable too. <laughs> some haven't come back because they filled Sunday mornings with something else. And it's sort of replaced their routine of coming to worship. And some, to be honest, most just got out of the habit. And habits are hard to reestablish, right? I think about um, years ago uh, hearing an illustration about worship and why worship is important each Sunday. And uh, so... The, the saying goes that inviting you to think about uh, the important meals you've had. We have one coming up, Thanksgiving, right? So the truth is we can only remember certain meals. I mean, think about it. How many of the hundreds of meals you have consumed, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and some in between, midnight snacks, I mean, all the food you have consumed, all the meals, and how many can you actually remember? A birthday, an anniversary, a special Thanksgiving or Christmas, perhaps. And yet every single meal that you have eaten has sustained your life. The same is true for worship. Uh, you maybe only remember a worship service here or there. You may only remember a sermon or two. Heck, I can't even remember what I preached last week. Uh, so you may only remember a sermon or two, but every time you worship, every time you worship, it gives you sustenance for your life. Now, that's not to say that I don't think you ought to be doing other things, going on vacations, uh, going out and being with your family and doing all that. You should. We should. But we should also go out like on a Sunday of service and feed people who are unhoused and who need food 
to eat. So I'm not saying that I think uh, a uh, absolute every Sunday in the pew or chair, as the case may be, uh, is essential. But I do think it's essential to have a pattern, a rhythm, a time of being in community that can help sustain you and not to mention who you are sustaining by being present. Sometimes when, no, when you don't have the spiritual energy or hope uh, that you need, someone sitting next to you, someone singing next to you, someone praying next to you offers that to you when you don't have it. So I, I just offer that uh, as we think about what we're anxious about today. The struggles for all the church is real today. And we're in a time of change and challenge, and that's okay. And particularly so for small churches like ours, uh, where the absence of a, literally a handful of people can leave a big hole. There's also a lot of anxiety out in the world today, given the seismic shifts in both the culture and the church. And you and I both know how hard it is to prepare for the unknown when you don't know what's coming. <clears throat> you think that light might be a light coming toward you, but it also might be a freight train. You know, so when we don't know what's coming at us, we need to be kind of alert and aware. It's tough when situations take us out of our comfort zone, which may help us better understand the reading from this morning from the Apostle Paul. Because Paul, when Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Paul writes to a church that's worried and anxious. This is a congregation that all its life has relied on only one reality, and that is the guidance of the Apostle Paul. Now, they are separated now by not only distance in miles, but the distance of mortality as well. Whether or not Paul actually dies after sending this letter, his imprisonment signals his imminent death and casts a shadow across the pages of his letter. And the first time a church deals with mortality that is within its own walls creates anxiety. We also know that Philippi is dealing with his own inner dissension. There's a fight going on within the church. Can you imagine? A fight going on within the church. Turns out Euodia and Syntyche, women leaders in the Philippian church, possibly as householder patrons, are taking sides and taking names. And Paul's concerned about that. And you know as well as I do that if there's, one, there's not much more traumatic than a church fight, and especially if it's a first fight, which is what they're in. And the church at Philippi is in that first fight, and their untested love is being sorely tested. And so, with the specter of death on one hand and the ashes of its own firestorm on the other, an anxious church in Philippi turns to Paul and asks, how can we move onward? In today's reading, Paul offers the church at Philippi and so offers us three faith, faith postures. Do you remember when your mom used to say to you, don't slump, slump, don't droop your shoulders, stand up straight. Mama Joe used to say it to me all the time. 
You need good posture like Katherine Kynard, who was my dance teacher. Of course she had perfect posture. <laughs> she had perfect posture sitting or standing. Posture is how your body is positioned for stability and strength. When you have good posture, you are able to function better because your feet are properly planted and the body is properly aligned. And for the church at Philippi and for the new church, posture is how the body of Christ maintains stability and strength because the body of Christ is properly planted and aligned. So the Apostle Paul invites us into freedom from the past, writing this. But one thing I have laid hold of, forgetting what lies behind. Which is odd because for the previous 11 verses, Paul hasn't forgotten a thing of what lies behind. He has listed every single one of any award or thing he has won along the way. For 11 verses he carries on. But when Paul says forget, he means release, let go of. But one thing I have laid hold of, letting go of what is behind. Because you see, Paul knows that holding on too tightly to the past is how the past holds us back. Sometimes what was good in our past keeps us from seeing what can be good now and in the future. So Paul knows that truth, and he's been on, on ships where the crew had to literally throw everything off the ship, including sometimes him, to stay afloat. He knows that sometimes you have to let go of things in order to float. When Paul says forget, Paul means release, and that's one faith posture for anxiety about the future. It's freedom from the past. And Paul continues to write in the next phrase saying, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, toward the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. For Paul, moving onward together also involves hope for the future, which is not so, which is not so much about uh, hope as it is about an orientation an orientation of hope. Remember that Paul writes this letter late in the autumn of his ministry from a prison cell in Rome. There's not a whole lot left that he can do. Yet Paul says, I've got my eyes on the prize and I'm running toward Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, my best days are ahead. This is a question of orientation because Paul knows that the world divides basically into two kinds of people, those who live by nostalgia and those who live by hope. And we all know that orientation determines destination. Consider your car's rear view mirror. It typically measures about eight inches across and two inches wide. On the other hand, consider your windshield which measures on the average 33 inches by 44 inches. Now, there's an assumption of the car maker about where your focus is going to be while you're driving, right? And the question is, are we driving by looking at the rear view mirror, or are we drive, driving by looking out the windshield? And the question for each of us, and for, the new, and for new church today, is are our best days ahead of us? 
Well, I just lost my place. Here it is. It is really uh, a question of the climate in which we are surrounded, right? Um, are we a church where the climate is behind us? Because that can lead to resignation. Or are we a church that says our best days are ahead of us because that will mean we consistently are being reinvented by God. We are consistently being open to the renovation God is doing in our lives and in our community. Clearly, Paul thinks an essential posture for anxious, anxious times is hope for the future. And Paul says there is another posture to consider, the posture of maturity. Paul ends by saying all of us who are mature can think differently this way and if you think differently God will show it to you call it maturity for the meantime if you will call it maturity in recognizing liminal space we've talked about this before Father Richard Rohr reminds us we have to allow ourselves to be drawn into the sacred space of liminality all transformation takes place here there alone is is our old world left behind, though we're not yet sure of the new existence. That's a good space where genuine newness can begin. And if new church has ever been anything in our life, it has been a church always seeking to know the new thing that God is doing in us, between us, and among us, right? Now, to step into the future in anxious liminal times, the church will need people of maturity. People who know how to remember the past but not hold on too tight. People who recognize the teaching moments of being in a liminal space and moving onward into the hope of the future. People who can stand in the tension between freedom from the past and hope for the future and there provide maturity in the meantime, in the now. Years ago, Mama Joe and Papa Hutt celebrated their 50th anniversary. My mom's lifelong dream was to go to Hawaii, to have the experience of being in Hawaii. And she saved enough money so that on her 50th anniversary, she could pay for her entire family to go with them to Hawaii. And so we did. We all piled on the plane. But before we piled on the plane, my sisters and I reached out to people they had known all their lives. People from their past in El Campo, people from their present in Bryan College Station, people from their family, people who were friends, people who were work colleagues. We reached out to all those people and said, send our parents a 50th wedding anniversary call. Well, they didn't just send cards. They sent pictures, and they sent newspaper articles. And when we got on that plane, we gave it to them. They were totally surprised. So the whole flight, you know, it's a long flight. The whole flight to Hawaii, they sat in the front two seats, and then we sat behind them. And you could see them opening these cards and the delight on their faces. And they would poke each other, and they would laugh, and they would point. And they would, you know, it was the most delightful thing to watch. And as I watched them, I couldn't help but wonder, I wonder what their best memory of each other has been. I mean, 50 years. What has been their best memory? And I realized that it wasn't what had been, but it was 
what was going to be the next memory that we were getting ready to make, right? The next memory. Well, we had a great time, by the way. And our first lesson reminds us of one of the most important things that Paul points to, points to in his letter. It is the prophet Jeremiah who spoke on behalf of God to the people of Israel and to the people of New Church. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Perhaps there is no greater proof of God's promise than that of the banyan tree in Lahaina, Maui, Hawaii. The New York Times recently reported about the tree, writing, over the decades, residents have gathered, feasted, and proposed marriage beneath the 150-year-old banyan tree in the downtown area of Lahaina, Hawaii. But earlier this summer, after the fast-moving blaze tore through the town in West Maui, scorching the tree, some feared that it might not live on. But recently, Green shoots have begun to unfurl around the trunk of the sacred giant tree. Others have sprouted in, the in its branches between the brown and withered leaves. And just recently, Hawaii's Department of Land and Natural Resources, describing the bright green leaves as positive signs, they expect that the banyan tree of 150 years old will thrive and will survive. This morning, we started with what is your greatest anxiety? 